0: Lord, as we have prayed to you before in recent times, we recognize that our greatest need uh, is not even breath or nourishment, but it is to hear your voice, our greatest need, to know more of your gospel, your love for us, displayed so marvelously in the life, death, resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pant for you, we long for you, O God. And we ask that uh, just now in these moments that we might meet with you, or rather that you might meet with us. O God, we pray that you would speak uh, to us, to your people, that we might hear your voice. We pray that we might know your power, uh, your changing, Lord God, uh, that you would mold us, that we might be more pleasing in your sight, more in the likeness of your Son. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. Uh, I want to start this morning um, just by uh, mentioning a couple of new initiatives in the life of our uh, congregation. Just a couple of new initiatives. The first you have heard about before. So this evening we're beginning that, uh, what we'll call an evangelistic prayer meeting. So tonight quarter past five, you've heard it, haven't you? Uh, we'll, we'll get together in the room uh, through the back and we will pray for the lost. That's the first initiative. If there is a second, uh, though, in a couple of months what we're going to do is we're going to hold some uh, evangelistic training in the life of the church. So on the, let me get the date right, on the 27th of November, get it in your diary, on the 27th of no- uh, November, a uh, couple of people are going to come to us here and they're going to speak to us on the subject of conversational evangelism, maybe moving into a little bit of workplace evangelism. You get the idea? So people are going to come and speak to us about how it is that you and I can kind of share our faith just as we go about our daily lives. There are the two initiatives. The prayer meeting and evangelistic training. Now as I say them to, those things to you, there is an obvious assumption <laughs> that we are making at that point with these two events. Now what's the assumption? The assumption is that witnessing of Christ is a crucial part of Christian living. That's the assumption, isn't it? The assumption is that you and I, as the people of God, we should be trying to tell people of the good news of Jesus Christ. And (laughs) don't we shudder at the thought of that? It's not just me. I'm sure it's not just me. When we think about evangelism, We quake, actually you and me telling other people about Jesus and opening our mouth to do this. This is where we feel, I think, most exposed as Christians, and I think it's where we feel least prepared. Well, to lead into these ventures, what I want us to do this morning, I suppose, is is to consider what we might call a case study in evangelism a case study in evangelism now please don't run ahead of me so I say a case study in evangelism and we have just read what John 4 you see are you running ahead of me we might be thinking ah right. we're going to consider this conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 now Don't get ahead of me. That's not what we're going to do this morning. Instead, we're actually going to consider some of the... I'm going to dare to suggest... Some of the often overlooked verses... At the end of the chapter. Now, did you notice? Surely you did in the reading. Did you notice? Revival broke out in that town. Did you notice? This real revival awakening broke out in Sychar. So this morning... I want you and I to think about that, to think about how God uses one <laughs> solitary woman's witness to bring that about, and I want us to consider it for the following reason: that you and me, that we might be encouraged in our own witness here in Dundee and Broughty Ferry and further afield. So, what is it? It's a case study, if you like, if you allow that, in evangelism. And what we're going to do, it'll sound daft to you, but what we're going to do is we're going to interrogate the text. Okay, we're going to interrogate this portion of Scripture. What we're going to do this morning, for a short time, is we are going to ask questions, questions of this portion of Scripture, from chapter 4, verse 27 onwards. So, we're going to ask questions, we're going to interrogate the text. So, you know what I'm going to say? Can we have our Bibles, if we've got them there, either on our phones, tablets, copy of Scripture? Let's have it open, chapter 4 from verse 27 onwards. Let's interrogate the text. Here's the first question we're going to put to the text, and it's this. Who is this who witnesses? So there's somebody here sharing our faith, you, speaking of Jesus. So who is this? Everyone got the question? Who is this that witnesses? There's our first question. Okay. Right. um, Who do you think about When you think about evangelism What sort of people Do you think about If I throw out the word an evangelist A real witness An evangelist Who do you think about What sort of people do you think about Now I've, I've, I've had to think about that this week I reckon my mind goes into A couple of different places When I think about an evangelist I think either Historically Maybe you do that. I, so I think I don't know Billy Graham Going back a wee bit Or evangelist I'll go even first, Like Whitfield Or somebody like that You know A traveling itinerant preacher Evangelist So I think Historically Or I think uh, Geographically Maybe you do think Evangelism Witness And I often think about Overseas mission You know A missionary or So, so historically Or geographically now, Is that Okay I mean, is that correct? Well, as we open John chapter 4 here and we think about who it is that's speaking of Jesus, what do we have here? Like, who is this person? Is there anything we know about this person here? Can I just mention a few things to you? First of all, who is this? Who's this person? This person is a Samaritan. Isn't that right? What, what, do, we, what do we call this section of Scripture? We tend to call it the woman at the well or the woman from... Samaria, don't we? So she's a Samaritan. Now, l- let me just add to that for a moment. What do you and I know about the Samaritans? What do we know? We know that they were the traditional opponents of the Jews, weren't they? Like, for years and years and years and years, the Jews and the Samaritans would be loggerheads, hadn't they? And, and the Jews viewed them as kind of unclean, you, you know, apostate. They viewed them as enemies. Just hang on there. Isn't that something? Who's God? God is using a traditional opponent of His people in John chapter four. Isn't that knowable to start with? So, who is the person? That's a Samaritan. Is there anything else we know about this person? It's a woman. It's a woman. Does that sound strange to mention? It's true, isn't it? Again, let me just add to that idea. What have we said previously? We've, we've said that women in the first century world, first century Palestine, they were viewed as being entirely untrustworthy. Do you remember that I lingered on that in a previous sermon, the fact that a woman wasn't allowed to give testimony in a court of law? Couldn't, couldn't be trusted. Yes, there's more. I was reading a, a Jewish sort of scholar, commentator uh, from the time, and he was writing to Jewish men. Okay first century And this is what he says says to Jewish men Women weren't worth speaking to Not even your wife Because they can't understand And they just can't process these things It's awful Isn't it? But really I know we we chuckle and we laugh But it's awful And what do we see in John chapter 4? We see our Lord completely ignore those conventions, completely ignore those sinful ideas. And what does God do in the verses we're dealing with? God uses not a man, but God uses a woman powerfully, and a woman to, to will you allow to raise the, the inhabitants, the residents of Sychar from their unbelief? Who is this? Is a Samaritan woman? And then there's a third detail about this. This is a Samaritan woman with pretty low moral standards or values. I think that's a fair way to put it. Would you you let me off with that? Because what do we know about her? Whether she was a prostitute or whether she was an adulteress, we, we don't know for certain. What we do know for certain is that this is a woman who has been married how many times? Five times? five times and we know that she is not married to the person that she's living with currently aren't you staggered when you take a step back from John chapter 4 you and I have certain ideas about evangelism don't we Don't we have certain ideas about who it is that God will use and who makes for a really great witness? And then you read John chapter 4, and what do you find, what do you see that God can use? He can use the most unlikely people imaginable, and he can use them for the glory of his great name. And I think, for one, that's good news. Isn't it? Because who are you, Christian friend? And who am I? We are former enemies of God and his people. We are a people really struggling with our immorality and our sin. We look to John 4, God can use her. We see here that God can use you, Christian friend, and God can use me for the furtherance of the gospel in this city. So first question, who is this who witnesses second question, we're asking questions of the text, aren't we? The second question is this, what exactly does this woman do? Okay, what does this woman, what does she do here? Now that might be, what do you think of the question? What does this woman do? You might think that's a really rubbish question, Andy. You know, there's an obvious answer. What does the woman do? She shares her faith, or she she speaks to me. Jesus. I want to actually draw your attention to a couple of details in the text just now. So if you would look at verse 28 for a moment, verse 28, and I want you to notice that she really, she springs into life. Do you notice that? She springs into action. Like, just follow me for a second. What's the situation? What's the context? So this woman, what do we know about her? She has traveled. So she has, she's gone from this town of Sychar and she's traveled Where? she's gone to this well for what reason to fetch water hasn't she that's her purpose and then she encounters the lord jesus christ in fact let's see she is transformed by the lord jesus christ and then what do you read in verse 28 don't you just love it She's gone. She's gone for water, and she leaves her water jar behind. And almost immediately, she goes straight. Forgets it. Goes straight back into that. Do you see? She encounters Jesus, and there's almost this instantaneous reordering of all of her priorities. She encounters Jesus. And she's suddenly dressed in a sense of sheer urgency here. And again, I don't know about you, but I find that desperately challenging in my own life. What are we like with witnessing? It's not just me, surely, who would say that what we tend to do is procrastinate. And what we tend to do is we delay and we'll wait for the church to equip us for evangelism. And we say, oh, but it's not really my personality or character. Or we'll say, but I'll just make a mess of it. I'll dishonor my Lord and I won't have answers to the question. But what are we seeing here? A truly transformative encounter with Jesus. It can move us. It can make us act. We can jump. We can like her. We can spring into life and spring into action. And then there's the second detail about what she does and that is that she invites people to Christ now can I ask you, so you're in verse 28 can I ask you to look at the, just the first few words of verse 29 just lovely words, I suppose it depends on the translation but roughly it's going to be the same you're going to read there these words come see is that what you've got in front of you come, aren't they lovely words come, come see them Come and see him. I mean, do, do you see the woman? Like, she is so utterly besotted by Jesus. She doesn't just want to go away and jump for joy about what he's doing for her in her life. That's not it. Like, she's so infatuated with Jesus. What does she want? She wants other people to see him. She wants other people to recognize his, his glory. And I think this can help us at St. Peter's. And I think this can help us to clarify the task that we have in our hands, the topic that we're dealing with. Because how do we very often think about Christian witness or evangelism? I think we think about it like, what did I say a moment ago? I said sharing our faith. Now, that's, that's, that's fine. Do you see it's a little bit dangerous? We could think about Christian witness as, as about, like, like, let's set forth some teaching to someone. Let's give some uncertain doctrines and deal with it. Or we can think about Christian witness like this. It's about inviting people to church as Christian witness. We can think like that. It's inviting people to spend some time with our Christian friends and our Christian colleagues. Now, some of that is great and some of it's good. But isn't John 4 helpful? Isn't it the case that this woman's task in Sychar is the same task that I have and you have as a Christian in Dundee? What are we to do? Oh, friends, we are to invite people. We are to say, come and see him. Come and see this one who has transformed us. Come and see this one who has lived righteously. Come see him. Come see the one who has borne our sin, his body on that tree, his death. Come and see the one who is right now, risen, victorious over sin and death. Come and see. What was the question? What does this woman do? It's the same thing we can do. The thing we must do, we must spring into action and invite people to the Lord Jesus Christ, himself, to Jesus. Third question. So, first one was, who is this? A most unlikely witness. What does she do? She springs into life and invites people to Christ. A third thing, to whom does this lady go? Has everybody got it? To whom does does this woman go? And I think with this question, we come to an interesting matter for ourselves. To whom should we go, St Peter's Free Church, with the gospel? Now, who should be the focus of our evangelistic endeavour? Now I wonder if I was to go around the room just now, it'd be a bit cheesy with a microphone, wouldn't it? But if I was to do that and I was to ask everyone. How would you answer that? To whom should we go? I reckon we'd come up with a lot of different answers, wouldn't we? Some would say, we go to anyone. Like, we can go in the streets with the gospel. Or some might say, let's go abroad. Let's, let's take good news to, the, to the, the ends of the earth. I think we would come up with a whole host of, wait for it, legitimate answers to the question. Before. I want us to see is what we find in John 4 now let me give you this to chew on and is this not true that this woman here goes to people that she knows now she goes to people that are familiar with her she's familiar with now you can see that you can see that she doesn't go with Jesus on to Galilee you can see that she doesn't go to a town two towns over You can see that she goes into Sychar, but what I long for you to wrestle with and see is how difficult that would have been for her to go back into this town. How hard that would have been for this woman. Because let's just face facts for a moment. Isn't it fair for me to say that John chapter 4 is a really well-known portion of Scripture? Isn't it if you've been a Christian for any length of time, how many sermons have you heard on John chapter 4? <laughs> Hundreds, millions of sermons on, on John chapter 4. So what do we know here? We know that the consensus seems to be that this woman was a woman who was utterly marginalized by the people and the residents of that time. We know that, don't we? Remember it? She, She's ostracized from this time. Do you remember the details that bring it out? In verse 6, we're told that she goes to the well when? At noon. Something was incredibly unusual at the time. The the women went to the well when? They went to the well first thing in the morning to avoid the Middle Eastern sun, the heat, right? And then look, verse 7. This woman went to the well alone. You remember that detail, don't you? Incredibly unusual women, the first century, they went on mass, they went in big groups to the well for, for safety. It's, it's, do you see what's going on? Because of her attitude, because of her lifestyle, the loose morals, this woman seems to have been ostracized, shunned by the community, and yet, where does she go? But oh, the good news. She goes there. She goes back to those people who are surely, potentially, at least, ostracizing her. I love this idea. Maybe she even goes back, we can only speculate, but back to the families of those five men that she's been married to. She goes back into Sychar with the gospel. And isn't this instructive for, for you and for me in our lives? Because you can't get me wrong, Please. Yes, we can go to the stranger in Perth Road or the ferry. Yes, let's do that. And yes, some of us will be called to go to different parts of the world with the gospel. But what is the most obvious mission field that you have in your life? What's the obvious mission field? It's the people that God deliberately has placed in your life. And let's call it a spade a spade. That is the hardest thing in the world. Isn't it? Like to go to people who know you really, really well and to tell them anew about Jesus Christ—they know your history, they know the messy baggage, they know your impatience, your flaws. They know your story. To go to them and you is so difficult. But don't we take heart from John chapter four? What happens? This woman transformed by Jesus she goes back into Sychar and those people they come to Christ so who is it an unlikely witness what does she do she jumps and invites people to Christ to whom does she go she goes to people she knows even though it's hard a fourth question what attitude is called for in Christian witness what attitude is called for now um, have you heard ever before of what is called a Markin sandwich? You heard of this? So, not a Marks and Spencer's sandwich, but a Markin sandwich. We heard of this? Um, it's where in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark uses a, a special device. Do you know? If you read Mark's Gospel this afternoon, you will see these sandwiches everywhere. Okay, so Mark uses a special device. So he begins a story about Jesus and he will later end that story about Jesus. But in the middle, Mark will add this teaching that explains the story. Do we all see how it's a sandwich? Do the younger people see how it's a sandwich? You've got the bread to start with. Bread at the end, what's in the middle? Cheese, come on. It's cheese in the middle. Well, do we not see something similar to that in our hands in front of us here? Do you notice? Think about what we're focusing on. So, so John John begins to talk about Sychar and the interest from Sychar, and he will go on to talk about the finale in this revival in Sychar. But do you notice what he does from verse 34? What he does is he inserts here teaching, instruction, that Jesus himself is giving his disciples. Now, it is teaching and instruction about what? It's instruction about Christian mission. Now, basically important for us then. Now, what's important to get is the sense of urgency that Jesus gives his disciples, real urgency. But this is what I want to ask you, really. In fact, it's, it's more for the young people again. So, for the young people, have you heard of this expression at Rome... It wasn't built in a day. Have you heard of that? adults, we know this expression, right? Rome wasn't built in a day. How do we use that? Uh, We use it not to be rushed sometimes, don't we? So in the hypothetical situation that my wife was ever to nag me, that was hypothetical and it would never happen, to try and get me going, get me moving, I would say back, I would say, uh, you know, don't you know? Don't rush me. Uh, you know, we've got all the time in the world. Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day. Okay. Well, as silly as it sounds, look at verse thirty-five. Like, do you under, underscore, underline the urgency in Christian witness? Do you notice what Jesus does? He uses a phrase. Now, it is—it seems to be certainly a proverb of the time. Now, notice what he says. He looks at the disciples and he says to the disciples, he says, you see there are four months, then comes harvest. So do you see what Jesus is doing? Looking at the disciples, saying to the disciples, you see, Rome wasn't built in a day. Don't rush us. You say we've got time. You say it's four months to harvest. And then what does Jesus go on to do? He goes on to just contradict that. Say, no, it's not like that. Don't have that attitude. He shows, underscores the urgency in Christian witness. Now, that is important for us. We've got to grasp that. But what I really want you to get is the imagery that he uses. Will, will, will you walk with me on this for a second? Where are they? So it's Jesus and the disciples. Where are they? They're at the well. Where's the woman? She's gone in, hasn't she? She's gone into Sychar. And what's happening right now? Jesus talking to the disciples and the residents of Sychar are coming out towards Jesus. Now, this is what you need to know. That the residents of Sychar and the residents of Samaria were famed for the strange way that they dressed. So for years, for centuries, Samaritans famous for wearing white robes, white clothing, centuries, renowned for this. Does that not now color in what Jesus says here? He says, he's in Rome, built on a day. Don't you see the urgency? And then he says, lift up your eyes. Surely our Lord points to this multitude dressed in white coming towards him. Lift up your eyes. Don't you see? Look, the fields. They're white. They're white for harvest. And I wonder, Christian friend this morning, could it be That what the Lord Jesus Christ says to his disciples there is actually what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you and to me and to us in St. Peter's. Is he? Today, through his word, is the Lord Jesus Christ saying to you and to me, hey, lift up your eyes. Lift up your heads. Look at Dundee. Look at the ferry. Look at the area around us. Lift up your heads. Don't you see it? The harvest. You see, it's ready. It's time to move. It's time to go. Could it be that our Lord is prompting us today to seize the opportunity and to reap, reap for his glory? And then we close with a fifth and a last question. And it is the best of the questions. Because we last in this interrogation have to ask what results from all of this? What happens? from this woman's testimony. Now, we could really sum that up very easily, couldn't we? We could just use one solitary word, couldn't we? What result, What happens here? That word, that word that you use, I use, the word that we, it filters into our prayer a lot. What's the word? We could, What results here? We could say revival. We could say revival and we could leave it there and put a full stop or an exclamation mark. But as we close and we close with this, I just want to point you to two lovely details here, and we end. So first, so it's revival, we say? First is this. What we've got here is revival amongst the people that very possibly have heard the gospel before. I say that again? Make sure you get it. What we're reading here is of a revival amongst a people group, a people who more than likely maybe have heard the gospel before. Look down at verse 27 again. Look at this. Just then the disciples came back. My question to you is from where? We know the answer. So they have been, think of it, the group of disciples, all of them, all of them, Jesus was alone at the well, all of them have gone into Sychar already. <laughs> now, the alert You know, you might want to object and say, "Ah, but all we've been told from verse 8 is that they bought food, or that's why they were going in. You can't tell me that they wouldn't have been questioned. When you think about it, it's a group of Jews. What did we say earlier on? It's a group of Jews going into enemy territory. Jews going into a Samaritan town to buy food. You can't tell me that they wouldn't have been confronted. Or questions. You can't tell me that they wouldn't have had opportunity to say why they're here, why are you guys here. They would have had opportunity. They would have had opportunity to speak about Jesus, wouldn't they? And yet, what do we have here? Nothing. Nothing. It seems as though if they did hear the residents of Samaria did not respond at that time to the disciples, and in a perverse way, an upside-down way, I think that. That's really, really encouraging for us, because I wonder: Are you in danger of giving up in your unbelieving friends and your unbelieving family? Is that the attitude this morning? It can't. We can slip into that, can't we? They've heard the gospel before, countless times. They show no sign whatsoever of responding. Have we given up, old oh, friends? Don't, don't give up. Just because people have heard the good news previously does not mean that God cannot use your witness to your unbelieving friends and family this time around. Do you see it? Do you see that God used this woman where God seems not to have used the 12 disciples? And then the second detail to point you to is revival. Do you know what this is? This is revival to genuine faith. Because I wonder if you're a bit like me. I really hope you're not. But I'm so skeptical, and I fight against it all the time. But I'm such a cynic, such a skeptic, especially when I hear about revivals in different parts of the world or, you know, awakenings. I'm such a skeptic. And I have to immediately fight against it and and dig into it and read more about it and speak to people about it. Because I, my first thought is, oh, it's just emotionalism or, or people are just getting carried away and there's a lack of faith and it's, it's so skeptical. You must understand, even if there has been insincerity in different places and different times in history, yet maybe not in Sychar. No insincerity. Look at the testimony in verse 42 that they have. Look at them. They meet the woman. What do they say? What is their testimony to this woman? It's lovely. And they say, it's no longer because of what you said we believe, for we've heard and we know this Jesus. And what do they say? This Jesus, he is indeed the Savior of the world. There's a testimony, right? And on the lips of Samaritans, like people who have been told salvation is not for you, you have no right, no availability to salvation and now declaring with assurance Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. So how do we end this morning? Well, yes, if you are a Christian in the room, I would implore you, come and pray. I mean, we see our weakness when we think about evangelism and witness, don't we? We see our weakness and we know that salvation is a work of God alone. It is of the Lord. Do we not need to pray? Do we not need to intercede for those people in our lives who do not know Christ? Come and pray. But if you're not a Christian, let me change it. If you're not a Christian, I would say to you, come see. Come see. Come see Jesus Come see with the eyes of faith the very Son of God. Come and see even today that Jesus Christ really is the Savior of the world. And more than that, by your repentance, turning away from your sin, resting in Him in faith, more than that, come and see Jesus Christ at this hour can be your Savior and your Lord. Come see and be transformed by the amazing grace of God. Friends, let us bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for John chapter 4. We thank you that we are told and confronted by the truth that you are the one who dispenses the, the water of life that wells up to the everlasting life Lord, we see that you are the, the center of worship. And We thank you also that we see that you use weakness for your glory. We thank you for that great encouragement. We thank you for the residents of that town transformed by a working of grace. How we ask that you might use us, and that the people in our lives would hear of Jesus... That you would open their eyes, that they would behold the majesty and the glory of the Christ. Now we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.